welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Matamor Cronin. And I'm Justin Clark. And today we're discussing the future of sports. With us today is my good friend Rick DuPont. Rick, it's great to have you on the podcast. Uh, what a pleasure it is to be with you both. Thanks for having me join. Awesome. So Rick is a good friend who knows more about sports than anyone I know. He is currently getting his master's in sports law at the uh, Arizona State. And he has experience working at some of the big talent agents. And one day he's going to be a big sports agent that you guys will all know about. Um, <laughs> that's, that's the hope and dream, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So before we get into this topic, it really is a topic that people have wildly different opinions about. I mean, sports oftentimes is the butt of jokes on the Internet where people think it's like, you know, where we have all of these huge challenges ahead of us why are we wasting so much time and energy on sports i mean people on the internet they'll make fun of like oh sports ball and everyone gets so worked up and why aren't we focusing our time on things like education and space exploration and science and curing diseases isn't it all just a big waste of time well i mean justin i'll uh, i'll go ahead and start with that one but uh you know, being uh, probably the biggest sports fanatic I know, my life really revolves around sports. Uh, I've wasted thousands of dollars seeing point dollars pointless games uh, for Notre Dame football, traveling around the country, and uh, you know, we know, all know how that ended up this year. But what it really boils down to, at least for me, from a fan's perspective, is seeing you know being able to see you know regular people out there doing not non-regular things doing the incredible like mm. watching for example uh, a little guy like Steph Curry right on the basketball court who is you know not larger than really the average person or not much larger than the average person seeing him do just these absolutely incredible things on the basketball court to make himself this like superhuman it makes you believe like we can do anything as human beings like if Steph Curry mm. can do that like what can I go do in my respective uh, profession like seeing yeah. someone really hone in and master their craft just as like a regular person it kind of brings hope that you can really like do anything and there's this sense of camaraderie that comes with sports like when I'm standing there in the stands just as a fan you feel the the vibrations of the stadium with you know 81,000 other people or whatever the number is wherever you are and you're all together as one in unison rooting for one common team and one common goal it's this energy that is indescribable wow. and it just it sinks so so deeply into who I am and what I love that it's just it's it's just a part of me in that sense. And I would add even more to that and say that sports in general are just a huge part of human nature. Now, if you go back hundreds or thousands of years, maybe sports looks more like maybe the greatest athlete looks more like a warrior back in mm -hmm. the day, you know, but we're we're just looking for this this warrior archetype and we just celebrate those types of people that are physical specimens that can do anything you know i i totally agree with what you're saying rick right. um i just think it goes so deep in who humans are yeah you guys brought up some interesting points so the inspiration piece is one um you know any nike commercial you can see that it really does inspire the next generation as and as someone who's worked at a sports day camp i can say for certain that <laughs> to be like dunking even on these like mini hoops 
the kids who are younger than you, they just think it's incredible and that they want to do it too. Um, and then you also, Justin, you brought up the idea of it being sort of like preparation for war. Um, and then, well, and then Rick, you brought up the idea of it really brings everyone together. So I think all of these ideas are sort of getting at the underlying kernel of how sports came to be where yeah. it's, I mean, the way I sort of look at sports is first of all, it's a way for you to get comfortable in your own body you know, when you're a baby or a toddler, you're super awkward doing the simplest thing like bringing your mm -hmm. sippy cup to your mouth and not getting any of it on your chin is a very difficult task. So by playing games, like by playing catch with your dad or, or by playing soccer with your friends, you really learn your physical body. And then especially if you're in a team sport or even if you're a fan of a sport, that's when you get that real sense of, uh, of, of belonging to a group and being part of the whole. Mm -hmm. And I think as humans needed to band together throughout evolution against other bands of whether they're other animals or other hominids like Neanderthals or other rival groups of Homo sapiens, the way for them to practice their battle was oftentimes sports. And the way for them to all get bloodlust and getting all their adrenaline rushing so that they can be fearless in battle that also i think is helped out by the phenomenon of of sports but that that does raise the question that that's you know that was useful in the past when battle was something that we had to contend with now that we don't typically fight hand to hand and as we look more towards the future of war it seems like it's going to be much more um you know, much more battles of technology, information war, you know, that kind of thing. Is it still relevant or as relevant as it used to be? So well, kind of like, oh, you go ahead, Rick. Oh, no, I'll, I was going to let you go ahead, Justin. Okay. I'll, I'll pop in. <laughs> okay. So basically what I was trying to get at is I think sports now are just like controlled warfare. So we don't have to say that these football players are warriors but in our minds they are kind of they replace what the warriors were to us a thousand years ago hmm. so we can we can enjoy the aspects of war that are more um like violent without actually taking damage ourselves even if the players on the field you know we can talk more about that um even if they're taking damage this is still a way for us to kind of observe war in a sense mm. but like in the coliseum watching gladiators yeah. it's like especially if you're watching mma or boxing or if football yeah. and it's very similar yeah mm -hmm. mma and, is a big one. you know and, and uh when it comes to you know dating back to when there was warriors in the coliseum and you know rooting for one side you know, I wouldn't, and there probably were some cynical people out there who did, but the majority of the people probably weren't rooting for one person to die and one person to live. They are rather rooting for the person that they were rooting for in that ring, right? And I think sports has developed more in the sense that when you root for a team, you're also rooting for that brand and you're wearing that brand on your sleeve. Like when you're walking around wearing a Los Angeles Dodgers hat, you're you're promoting yourself as a Dodger fan. You're promoting that brand and you're aligning yourself with that brand for one day. If they were to win again, it's been since 1988. But <laughs> when they do win, when they do win again, 
you're you can hang that above people's heads like i am a los angeles dodgers fan and like i've been a fan since x y and z and this is who i am as a person and i think that's what sports has developed into mostly is being able to align yourself with a team to really kind of in to create your brand and to tell people who Mm -hmm. you are and that's why people wear that on their sleeves so much right Although sports did used to be the kind of thing where you would literally root for one person to die and one person to live. Like, I, I remember in, in Dan Carlin's hardcore history with the Celtic Wars, when the Romans were battling the Celts, their families would be on the sidelines around the wagons cheering their men on because they knew they were going to become slaves if their men lost against the Romans. So they would literally be cheering. I mean, can you imagine the fervor? Already with a Notre Dame game, it's incredible. If your <laughs> life is on the line, you would be cheering your absolute heart out. Yeah, it would make me it would make me hate Michigan that much more, I suppose. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I see where you're coming from. That's but, I mean that's. But it is a good point that. that that it does really help bring people together in a way that very few parts of life bring people together. I mean, if you think of the average sports fan. It can be some elite on the East Coast who's a banker on Wall Street. It could just as easily be someone who's in rural Alabama who is well below the poverty line. I mean, it really is something that everyone can enjoy. And I think part of the challenge has been that this tribalism has, in some cases, uh, pitted people against each other. I mean, especially with the most recent Kaepernick thing and the whole kneeling and, and all, that whole situation, it really was uh, troubling to me because sports seemed like this one area of bringing everyone together. But now it seems like it's been weaponized in a way where it's being used to divide people. So I wonder how you view that whole situation. You know, did was Kaepernick totally in the right? Are there things you could have done better? And then uh, how do you view us using sports to bring people together rather than having it be used as tribalism to divide people? Well, I think so with the with respect to the Kaepernick situation, I think I don't think when Kaepernick started his protest by first starting to sit down on the bench and then moving towards a a kneeling gesture, uh, he didn't necessarily he didn't mean to disrespect the flag or the national anthem Mm -hmm. he saw it as he's a professional athlete and he has this platform and many times in sports uh you know you've seen sports intersect with politics and naturally because there are so many spectators whether that's you know via tv or in person it provides this platform for these athletes who are given a lot of responsibility to you know come out and show what they believe at certain points in time and maybe Kaepernick didn't necessarily go go about in the right way when he started sitting down for the anthem but the reason why Kaepernick moved to kneeling for the anthem was because he was actually uh he consulted a um a veteran I don't want to misspeak exactly what his credentials were or what uh military branch he was in but he had served uh overseas and he worked with him to develop a way that was more respectful. And he said kneeling is a is a you know a huge form of respect in mm. many cultures. And to kneel would only bring attention to the fact that you're doing something different. And it's why is he doing something different? And right. that you know out comes his platform of you know his beliefs on and on how you know racial inequality still exists in the United States, especially for African Americans. And um, 
I think that he never intended to create this massive divide, which it became. And of course, in our, you know, here in America, you pick one side or the other, and there's really Mm -hmm. no in between, at least not yet. And so it naturally created this divide, especially at such a contentious time with, you know, everything uh, in politics right now. So I don't really think Kaepernick ever intended for that. But when push came to shove and people had to choose sides, it just became much more diabolical situation nothing that i believe he ever really intended for yeah i mean i don't know if he created the situation but he definitely brought it to the forefront and i Mm -hmm. think that the the thought process previously had kind of been like oh these football players they're just sort of meant to be entertainment for us and they you know why should they speak out i mean that's like what sort of the other side would say i guess whereas the people who are on kaepernick's side would say look we provide so much entertainment and we've uh you know this is a completely legitimate form of peaceful protest to right some very wrong wrongs that we see in society especially because many football players are african-american and the main issue was police brutality against African-Americans. It was, I believe it was a totally legitimate form of protest. The only thing I think he could have done better is being more specific about what would have to be done for his protest to be successful, right? So if he had said something like, if you can guarantee that every police officer in the country will wear a body cam 24-7, then that's good enough for me. Or, or like, you know, there are many different ways you could have sliced it. But if you had put some very specific end goal, I think it would have been even more successful. But even without that specific end goal, it was fairly successful in that it sparked a huge public wave of change. And that was mostly highlighted by the Nike campaign, which... Mm-hmm. you know all the republicans started protesting and then mm-hmm. they real and then nike stock shot way up <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's funny because i remember when that stock shot way up there was like a slight blip right before yeah. it shot up and everyone was like oh see like the republicans oh see i told you so like their stock's gonna plummet <laughs> their company's going down it's like it's nike like come on let's get a grip of ourselves and before they could even finish their sentence it shot way up right, Since, right. along with their problems yeah but okay. at, at, but what I was going to uh, kind of say before we move on from this is also, you know, Kaepernick has had some missteps in terms of how he's, you know, presented himself like with I, I mean, I saw recently he spoke out against uh, the Super Bowl halftime show with uh, I believe it's uh, who is it Travis Scott playing the halftime show or uh, I can't remember exactly who, but he spoke out against why, you know, why would he be performing the halftime show when he's aligned within my beliefs and he's essentially supporting the NFL in this, you know, by performing at the halftime show? I don't necessarily think he has the grounds to come out and say something like that. Uh, but, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's, he's, his intentions are there and his intentions are right. I just don't necessarily know if he's gone about it in the best way, but uh, the other side doesn't seem to be, uh, see what Kaepernick is trying to accomplish with his message. And that is just being misconstrued and discombobulated. And it's just divided people even more, which is sad because sports, like we've alluded to earlier, is really something that brings people together. And we should, you know, really keep that and, you know, at the top of our minds. Yeah, totally. So I do want to round out the future of football in general, because we've already touched a little bit on that. But 
given that, I mean, at my own high school, for instance, you know, I played high school football and we had a JV and a varsity team. And now when I go back to my high school to visit, they only have one team and it's much smaller than it used to be. They have, sometimes they have trouble filling the roster. And so it does seem like more parents are getting concerned about CTE, concussions, um, you know, these sorts of injuries because football is such a dangerous sport. How do you view football, let's say 25 years from now, do you think it's gonna be, there's gonna be less kids doing it? I mean, it doesn't look like the NFL is gonna decline anytime soon, mm -hmm. but I'm interested about to hear your perspective. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, it's a, it's the helmet, the CTE concussion, you know, kind of thing that goes along with the NFR. Now, obviously, we're finding out more and more that repeated hits to the head, whether that be boxing, NFL, et cetera, is certainly causes CTE and and, uh, you know, which is greatly affecting people's lives and the people around them. Um, you know, I'll say in looking at what the NFL might look like in 25 years, if it's even still there. Um, I, I personally believe that if you look at all of our technological advancements in the last 25 years, just generally speaking, I mean, in listening to previous uh, episodes of this show, like look at, look at what's developed in the last 25 years and how far we've come along and with certain things such as smart home technology, if you both have alluded to in your previous episode and, and whatnot, like, I can't imagine a world in which in the next 25 years, we can't figure out how to create a safer helmet device that mm. really reduces the impact of the, I mean, you're telling me we have 25 years and we can't figure out how to reduce impact to the head with a helmet. That seems like a pretty easy task considering we went to the moon in the 60s. Right, you know? like, right. how, can we, how can we figure out a yeah. spacesuit in the 60s, but we can't figure out a helmet? in the NFL that reduces the impact of, of a helmet to helmet hit like that kind of, I don't know. I, I have to believe as a, as a huge football fan that we will figure that out and we will make it cost effective enough because there's so much money in sports to figure out a situation in which those CTE problems and the helmet to helmet hits will be alleviated by superior technology. I kind of have an interesting view on this, I think, kind of different than a lot of people. So I think technology and scientists like to focus on making helmets and gear better. But I think it would be interesting to look at less padding, kind of go towards a rugby type of situation. Because when you look at the players that are doing the hitting, the fact that they have all of this padding means that there's a massive superhuman that can put literally every ounce of their strength into the next hit without hurting themselves. So it always damages the person being hit more because humans, you know, have really fragile bodies. So if you kind of take the rugby stance and say, okay, we just need to learn how to hit very well, like we need to tackle extremely safely for the person that's being hit and for the person that's doing the hitting then, you know, the people might not be injured as mm. much. Well, I, I want to push back on that a little bit because, you know, when my grandpa was playing football for Notre Dame back in the day, he, those are the leather helmet days. Uh -huh. And he passed away recently in, you know, having severe dementia. So those mm. hits were not good for him. Um, mm. and, right. And also the other thing that I think is difficult is that 
even if this if this strategy was proven to reduce injuries, the fact is people love watching football because they love big hits. And mm-hmm. I don't think that people would like it. It wouldn't be as entertaining if people just mm-hmm. like did like small hits with no pads and they like <laughs> I you know, I I completely agree and I and I'll almost liken it to, you know, when I, I've so I've got a as Madam Moore knows, I've got a nineteen seventy seven Volkswagen bus. It's a slow bus. It doesn't go above fifty eight miles per hour. And uh obviously the uh padding, so to speak, or the structural integrity of the car is not nearly as much as let's say a big forerunner, right? And so when you've got your big forerunner and you're driving around, you're feeling pretty confident. Like, oh, if someone stops in front of me, I'll just go over them. You know, it's <laughs> fine. And you feel in- inherently safer. And in- when I'm driving the bus, I am a much more, I'm a much safer driver, right? I stay to the, I stay to my right. I let people pass me. I'm very passive. And yeah. you can argue, yeah, it is safer in the bus. But in that one instance where I get caught off guard and it's a collision in that bus, my, my legs are going to get amputated. Like mm-hmm. it is going to be a much more severe hit rather than the little, you know, the bumps and bruises that would accumulate in a forerunner. So I kind of liken it to that a little bit. Obviously, yeah. we're talking about human beings versus vehicles, but. Right. So it, would it be the same way if it was a, another Volkswagen bus that was about the same sort of speed and integrity as yours? Like that's kind of. Like if you if you take a the padding now versus someone with no padding, obviously the person with no padding will, you know, mm-hmm. get destroyed. You know, this is this isn't scientifically um, validated at all. It's just kind of a contrary view that mm-hmm. might be worth mm-hmm. looking into. I do agree that it probably would be more boring to watch this type of football yeah. game. I think the jury's out for which would be safer. I mean, we would need to do a study to find out for sure. But definitely people like the big hits. Um, So another follow-up question I have as it relates to like football and how dangerous it is. So when we think about universal basic income and in the future, like let's say 50 years from now, it's quite likely that most like the vast majority of people won't have a job because everything will pretty much be automated and it would be hard for people to contribute, at least for majority of people. So in that world, will as many kids still dedicate their lives to becoming the best football player the best especially the dangerous sports because Mm -hmm. it seems like now football is a way for especially kids in the inner city or people who are uh, it's a way for them to pull themselves up out of poverty you know boxing is another uh, an mma these are ways for people who are way below the poverty line to become one of the most revered, wealthy citizens of our society. So if there's a future where you don't get those huge gains, or maybe you don't need the huge gains because everyone has their basic needs taken care of, will we still have as much as many people who want to do it just because they love the sport? Or will we have many fewer people that want to do it? Well, I so I've I believe that in terms of, so I'm not even close to being a father. I hope not, at least, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of everyone. But uh, I, I think that you know, when parents are raising their kids, sports is the best way to be able to keep them kind of on the straight and narrow, so to speak. Mm. And I think that sports develops a a fire in a person, and it de- it develops a competitive drive, and it develops structure in a person. 
and it develops a sense of teamwork and following instructions and rising above. And we're talking sports in general here, not just like the, you know, the sports that have potentially bad physical consequences, but it just, it develops such a, you know, such a mindset that is so helpful for down the road. Like I know, I know so many, you know, we all know so many employers that tend to gravitate towards hiring student athletes from college or that at least played at the high school level Mm -hmm. because they have that sense of go, go, go and that they won't stop, that they'll overcome adversity. I think that sports is so integral to that mindset that I don't really foresee you know, parents stop, you know, saying, you know, let's not play sports anymore. It's too, right. it's too dangerous. There well, I, th- I think you're true. I think you're right as far as sports in general, but I'm talking specifically about the most dangerous sports like tackle football and boxing. And I guess tackle football is the best example because that's the most prominent, like widespread high school sport. But I completely agree with you as far as the utility. I mean, from my own time playing football, I played lots of sports. I value my experience playing football more than any other sport. And the reason is that that's the only that's one of the only sports where you can never touch the ball and still be one of the best players in the team. So so I guess an answer so I guess an answer I'd have to that is something that a lot of NFL players have said including my favorite NFL player Brett Favre. And they ask, you know, and he undoubtedly is going to have some form of CT. That guy got hit more than any ragdoll I've ever seen. And I <laughs> I think that when you what so what what Brett says is you know Brett with all these potential you know you clearly you're probably going to have some sort of damage and there's going to be physical repercussions of playing you know in the NFL and it, you know would you if you were to do it over again would you have tried to play another sport or he goes I, there's I would he's I would never do anything differently ever again like the football <laughs> is, is my life and my 18 years in football were the absolute best years of my life and I I could never be more thankful for that and that will always be the best time of my life. So like you got these right. guys that are basically saying, look, I understand the physical repercussions and everything, but what's one big reason why these professional athletes are playing professional sports, especially in football, right? It's to provide for their families. And they've succeeded in providing for their families if they've got made essentially made it to the professional level and not pissed away all their money. But you know, they're provi- that's that's the yeah. reason why Wow, Although I do, I do have another quote. I can't remember who the player was, but it was someone who had CTE, and they had so, so such intensely painful headaches that it basically this guy was suicidal. And he said in this interview, uh, I think it was with the New York Times, he said, "If I knew that it would be this bad, meaning CTE, mm-hmm. I would never have played football." So I think it's. You know, asking Brett Favre before he's experienced the effects of CTE versus mm-hmm. asking someone when they're in the worst of it are two mm-hmm. different. And, you know, I'm sure different people mm-hmm. would say it's worth it, whereas others wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, the best case, I mean, you know, we can talk about the scenarios later in more in depth. But in my mind, a great scenario would be if there was some easy way to fix the damage done by collisions to the head. Like imagine mm-hmm. if, you know, you got a, a few too many concussions and just like how some players take off a month to recuperate some other injury, they can just have some, you know, nanosurgery or, or, or you know, stem cell therapy or gene therapy or whatever the right scientific solution is. Um, I mean, if we had that, then we, a lot of these concerns would, you know, you still want to prevent it. But if, if you can mm-hmm. fix it after the fact, 
that's a much better situation. Mm-hmm. I agree. The only the only difficulty with that is there's so many uh, mi- m- uh, micro concussions. I'm not sure if that's the correct term, but these uh, lower level concussions that almost that are even pretty undetectable by doctors. I'm sure that you know we can say we will advance technology right. to be able to detect them and such. But it's such a it's such a, a a fuzzy line as to what a concussion is and how to detect it. That yeah. when you go under, you know, if we were to have a small procedure to over overrun these you know, con- concussion symptoms and to prevent CTE. It's like when what what is the line as to when that were to be implemented to someone? Do they just have to be knocked out cold? Yeah. Like do they have to be feeling headaches? Well, I think or until recently a, they could only confirm that you had CTE once you're dead and they do an autopsy. Exactly. But I, I think right. now they can pretty much tell if you have enough symptoms and brain scans and fMRIs and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, at the very least, if once someone has like all the major symptoms, if they could, go through some therapy, ideally non-invasive, that would be much better. But uh, we're, we might be a far ways away from that. Agreed. So, okay, so I want to talk now about just the basic trends because that'll help set up the scenarios. So which sports are the fastest growing, which are the fastest declining, so we can paint a picture of what the most popular sports will be like in the future. So, so I have a couple data points that you guys can react to. Mm-hmm. So some of the fastest growing sports are things that you might predict because they simply didn't exist, uh, you know, a while ago or mm-hmm. recently. Mm-hmm. So things like esports, you know, mm-hmm. Ninja, who's the most popular Fortnite player. Mm-hmm. I forget. He gets paid something like. It's like 500,000 a month just on subscribers <laughs> at yeah. his peak. Yeah. And that's not even like advertisers or sponsors or whatever. So, I mean, this mm-hmm. is huge. Um, and when you talk about like not having to risk your physical well-being and it all just being about your reaction time, that's a really interesting trend. Another thing is drone racing, which is very similar where these guys will have these like VR sort of rig and they're like these, these like Star Wars pilots essentially like going all through these crazy courses. Another thing is adventure racing. So if you think about like what was that show? I forget. It was some show where you, like the great American adventure or something where you have to travel across all the different continents with a team. And oh, the-, the amazing race. The amazing race. No, yeah, yeah. 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 But apparently this is like a new trend too of uh, adventure racing. I could see that getting a lot bigger too. Um, mm-hmm. And then MMA is growing really fast, mostly because it's replacing mm-hmm. boxing. And especially mm-hmm. in like Southeast Asia, I mean, it's, it is a really big way for people to pull themselves up out of poverty, especially in Thailand with like Mai Thai and those fighters. And then the rugby and lacrosse have kind of been growing, but it's hard to know if that's just like a blip rather than a long term trend. And then ping pong is the final of the fastest <laughs> growing sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you guys have any reactions to the fastest growing before we get into the fastest declining? I want to know what Rick thinks about the esports thing. <laughs> well, I, uh, you know, for me, uh, I understand how much skill it goes into esports and the reaction times, like you alluded to, Matt, that create a successful esports player and, you know, all the strategy that's involved. Um, I, I personally don't really play video games. Um, I, I, it's just never, I've always been the type to rather go outside and, you yeah. know, play play ball and stick sports but um 
Yeah, there's no there's no doubt that it involves skill. And as technology increases, the popularity is only going to increase with these esports. Um, you know, I, personally though, like I have never been much of a you know much of a fan when it comes to uh, sports that are classified as such that don't really involve uh, exercise, frankly. Mm, yeah. And like I think it's part of sports, the definition of sports to me in terms of being a fan is just being amazed at the physical aspects of the like what an athlete is composed of physically and the things that he can do that are or she can do that are supernatural in a way mm. and when you see that in a virtual world it takes it kind of takes the edge off that it's like okay so like literally anyone could do this if they practice enough which isn't true because right, right, right. you know i i understand that but uh it just it, for me personally, it takes the edge off that, and like I will never be a viewer of esports. I'll yeah. never be a fan, of it. and especially like same thing with drone racing. It's like okay, well, in my mind, and this sounds maybe a bit cynical, but you know, I may as well go and watch people race remote control cars, or I may as well yeah. instead of going to the horse races, or mm-hmm. I may as well. I don't know. Like, that's that's kind of how I feel. Yeah, I think esports is really interesting. I mean. I, I personally, again, kind of like you, I'm not a huge fan. I have seen some, like I've been curious to see who this ninja guy is that streams Fortnite. Yeah. But what I what I do like about esports as a trend is there's a whole bunch of recreational video game players. So if you're just a Call of Duty player that's, you know, average, but you like you can go and watch professionals all day, every day, basically, that are streaming. So you can enjoy Great way to the spend profession. your time. Uh, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, what, what are we reducing? I don't know. This again, I'm like, I, I yeah. may. Have but like I think it might be a generational thing, though. Like, imagine if you grow up at like, imagine your son Rick, who grew up with a VR rig in his mouth. <laughs> uh, good God! Yeah, I'd send him outside, give him a ball and a stick. No, but I I don't know. Like for me, like I I see why why people are so like just infatuated with this. But for me personally, like I'm not gonna sit around watching people play video games. Like I, I'd rather I, I'd rather see something that's more concrete and tangible that I can go see in person. Like watching, you know, watching like well, I'll go back to Brett Favre. Like the inhuman things that he can do as a human were the most incredible to me watching a guy play 297 straight games through all the adversity and injury that he had it's so the adversity that a, a that a, a you know an athlete faces is so much more real than mm-hmm. in in physical sports non non esports sports right. you know so, it's so, so much more saying... real, more relatable as a as a human being i feel like than watching people do supernatural things on a on a computer, you know, right. gaming console. So, do you think, though, from the viewer's perspective, let's say there was some new esport where, I mean, I think they made a movie about this with Viggo Mortensen, but where basically, like, imagine it's like an esport, but you have this like exoskeleton and it's like giant physical robots like battling it out in some stadium. Or something where it's like sort of combining of the physical world with the esport world, which I guess drone racing kind of already does that to an extent. 
Um, I, I, it's just interesting to think of how this could develop going forward, especially as physical prowess becomes less and less important for your success in society, whereas your ability to manipulate things in the digital world and have fast reaction times. Like think of like Minority Report, where he's like just getting such insane amounts of work done and like flipping through this and that. I could see a cultural shift where having the fastest reaction time and being like a digital esport mastermind that extends itself into the real world. Like we already can connect the real world with the digital world. Like I can tell my Alexa to turn on my lights and it happens immediately. I think this idea of being able to sort of, you know, orchestrate the symphony of physical world uh, activities through your digital controller essentially mm -hmm. i could see that becoming more i mean i agree i'm never going to be a huge fan just because you know I, it's not part of my value system what i grew up mm -hmm. but i could see this becoming the value system of people who you know grew up in, in a very different world mm -hmm. i think in a way we we have that to an extent already with race car driving right uh, so we, we see these 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 incredible uh technological machines being controlled by humans in in a in a real world setting and i so is it just I about the fact that they might die that they're risking their life that makes it so I, compelling because if, if they were I, doing it from a control room would it be as as exciting if the car no. was there but they're not in the car of course not. I, I think I think you're spot on with that. I think the risk element is something that every spectator can can appreciate. Like these people putting their their bodies on the line, moving around at 200 miles per hour. If someone wasn't in the car, it's just like, all right, well, what the hell's the point? Yeah. But but it's it's interesting to think about. Yeah, I would be interested to see what the NFL looks like if you had a bunch of like super robots playing oh, each other rather than that would it'd be, be a, it'd be a, i'll say i'll say this as a notre dame fan it'd be a lot easier to recruit a robot than it was a human being <laughs> to south bend indiana but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right well let's, let's talk about some of the declining sports so baseball is declining right so i think part of the reason there is that people nowadays they have a shorter and shorter attention span they need that instant gratification and in one NFL play, you can get a big hit. You can see some real cool stuff. Whereas in the average baseball play, it's just a nothing play. Like the guy gets you know struck. It's a very slow game. So I think that's one element. Also, it has a very aging fan base. So in the last uh, World Series, the average person watching the World Series was 55 years old. So wow. it's... It's wow. uh, so it is sort of dying out. I mean, it used to be considered America's pastime. It, you know, 25 years ago, it was right up there with football. Now it's falling behind. It seems to be falling further and further behind. Um, another thing is like, also another one that's declining is golf, and they're really similar in the reasons why they're declining. So both of them require a lot of setup. Like you need this. It's not like you can just have just any open field. Like you need to really like sort of set it up in a particular way. You need to have enough money to have access to that. So it's not like something, you know, that can grow everywhere. And golf also has an aging audience. Um, so it seems like those two, which are currently pretty big, are going to continue to decline. 
And then boxing, we talked about just simply because it's being replaced by MMA is also mm -hmm. declining. And then mm -hmm. college football does seem to be slightly declining. It's hard, it's hard to say for sure, but NFL does not. At least this mm -hmm. is what the, the research that I did showed. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if you guys have any reactions to that or if you have a different sense of what sports might decline and which ones might rise. Well, you know, it makes sense that baseball is declining and they've they've been trying to counteract and i and i fully agree that it's an attention span thing with with newer generations and you know they're trying to combat it with rule changes such as uh implementing a pitch clock to speed up uh mm -hmm. you know the time between pitches and and whatnot um it's you know and i hate keeping i hate to keep alluding back to notre dame but the way i see baseball is baseball is kind of like notre dame football right you've got such a large segment these old fans that don't want the game to be changed because it's that was the game that I grew up with. That's how right. the game should be played, and it's a very close-minded view. And the the majority of baseball fans are, like you said, I mean, age fifty-five being the average for the yeah. World Series. Like that's that's absurd. But that yeah. just shows that a large portion of this population that is still big fan of this sport is that older type that doesn't want the game to be changed because of the integrity of the game, right? right? Same with Notre Dame football. We didn't have a Jumbotron until a year ago. <laughs> like, how the hell yeah. did Notre Dame not have a Jumbotron? It's because a lot of our, our uh, older fans and, and bigger donors wanted the, didn't want the game to change. Like, that's how Notre Dame football right. is. You know? And that people, people inherently are reluctant. A lot of people are reluctant for change, especially like the older generations. And um, I, I think the same goes along with, with baseball, and, it, and it's just had such an impact on the game to where, for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's unwatchable. Yeah, I mean, baseball is literally a game where you have to be chewing sunflower seeds and packing tobacco <laughs> yeah. just so you can stay awake and alert. <laughs> I mean, look at, look at Bartolo Colon. He's four, uh, I want to say he's, he's in his 40s now, I believe. Yeah, early 40s somewhere. The man weighs well over 300 pounds. His BMI is through the roof. He's certainly classified as obese, but he's had like a 22-year career, whatever it is, in the MLB, and he's been a you know he's been a all-star multiple times, and he's he's literally an obese human being like that. Like that to me like, <laughs> takes away some of the interest in the sport, takes away some of that like supernatural ability, and I don't. That's why I've never been the biggest baseball fan. But then again, if you look at you know the 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 beauty of how just how precise and how accurate you have to be in order to be good at baseball shows how much you actually have to practice in that craft and same with same with golf right it just mm. shows there's so much practice that goes into being a good baseball player or a good golfer you're not just like born with athletic ability to play baseball or play golf because frankly you don't really need that much athletic ability to succeed in either sport it just takes practice 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 and in those two sports, like you said earlier, Matt, it takes, uh, you know, to have a baseball field. It's it's a lot of capital to have a base. You know, it's a lot of money to create a baseball mm -hmm. field. Same with golfing. Like, you know, there's two sports where if you're growing up and you want to play baseball, you know, your your parents have to shell out a ton of money for these little leagues and all the travel and the setup and everything. Like for someone coming from a, a poor community, that's that's increasingly difficult. And I think that there's also a trend where uh, why those why those audiences and people participating in baseball and golf is declining is because the wealthier generations aren't necessarily 
pushing their kids as hard to play sports as maybe the people that don't have nearly as much income in the poorer segments. Mm. And I think sports more and more, I'd love to see, uh, uh, you know, research on this, but I think increasingly we're seeing professional athletes uh, come from poor, from more poor backgrounds. Right. Um, I'd love to see now what the, you know, average income of athletes' parents were of current, you know, professional athletes before their kids were professional right. athletes. I mean, you definitely have a certain kind of drive if you come from a, a you know, started mm-hmm. from the bottom, now we hear kind of a mentality. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I wonder if also it's dependent on regional, like where in the country you're from. Because, I mean, going to Notre Dame with you, it seems like the Midwestern sports mentality is just at another level. I mean, when the Blackhawks won uh, the Stanley Cup compared to when the LA Kings won the Stanley Cup, it was just night and day as far as how many people were in the streets. And it seems like in the Midwest, if your sports team loses, you're going to be depressed for like a couple of weeks. Whereas in LA, if, if like, you know, the LA Rams lose, like maybe mm-hmm. for five minutes, people will be sad. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, damn, Rams are down 21. All right. You guys want to go surfing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but why, why is like it fish. so different regionally? Is it just the types of people that live there? Is it something to do with the individualist versus collectivist value system? I mean, just uh, culturally. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just culturally, it seems like, I mean, for me, it's, I'm living in Tennessee. So college football is huge yeah. because it's all sec. Like no one cares about the NFL. Everyone cares about college football. Oh, and I think it's just a cultural thing. Like the, the people that made it, you know, that were down here, maybe, maybe the reason college football is so intense down here is because maybe the big achievement in life was to make it to college for a while hmm. or, you know, I don't really know what the, what the social, like, well, I have heard that NFL is more the everyman sport. Cause you don't have to go to any particular college. You just have to live in a city or, right. you know, even if you live rurally, there'll be a team nearby. I, I, you know, I also, I think a lot of it is geographical. Like when you look at um, the Southeast, for example, if you're looking at Alabama, Louisiana, Arkansas, that, that area, um, there are no professional NFL teams, professional NBA. Well, there are, yeah, I guess in Louisiana, sorry. But, and if you look at Alabama, Arkansas, a lot of those states don't have professional sports teams. And right. so they're going to go to the next closest thing to a professional sports team, which in that area is college football. And so you see yeah. in those sort of areas the rise of college football versus any other sport. And, you know, like we were talking about earlier, hockey, right? Like when I'm an Anaheim Ducks fan, one of like the seven Ducks fans in the entire world. And, yeah, because <laughs> we're based in Orange County. Like, so. Well, it's also like, the economics of entertainment. If there's a huge, right. you know, in Orange County, there's a million things you can spend your afternoon doing. Whereas yeah. if you're in the winter in Green Bay, I mean, right. you know. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, you know, as kids, you know, I think part of the fun and part of the reason why people love hockey is in those cold weather climates is it's something that you can play outside in mm. the wintertime, right? What, when you're, all right, when we're growing up in, uh, in LA, Orange County, and it's Christmas Day and you get all your presents, it's like, I always wanted a bike, for example, right? It's right. like sweet because I can go outside and ride around on my bike, and I go do it on that same day in Christmas because it's yeah, an exactly. Christmas, right? And the and and the only way to get over that that uh, 
hurdle the uh, of winter really in the Midwest states or northern states is what are you gonna how are you gonna go play outside indoor skateboarding in the basement yeah or and there you go yeah, <laughs> that's what that, i or, that's what i would do <laughs> or or a pair of ice skates and a hockey right skate. right right so i just i think yeah. just naturally you know it, it's much more prevalent in those areas yeah and that's i can i can speak to that being true i grew up in wisconsin so uh, <laughs> okay so i want to talk now about performance enhancement and the future of performance enhancement in sports. Because there already is this arms race between performance enhancing drugs that you can take that won't be detected in the drug tests and drug tests that get better and better at detecting what people might be taking. But this can go beyond just drugs. This can be potentially things like, you know, for instance, I just saw that Nike came out with this shoe where it will actually change the shape of the shoe in real time based on how someone is moving. So it's like, imagine you're like stepping and it'll give you a little more support on the outside of your foot so that you can move a little bit quicker. And obviously this is all very new, but if you take this to its logical conclusion, it's almost like Guardians of the Galaxy where he has this like nanotech where like if he falls it like saves his fall and it's like sort of just augmenting everything that you want to do to be a little bit better. I mean obviously a lot of this wouldn't be uh, you know allowed in, in sports but there are other ways too like for instance gene editing. What if you just select for the best possible athlete like you genetically engineer the perfect football player um, you know is that going to be allowed or how would you even detect that? Another thing is like, imagine like a cyborg limb. Like there are already people who have won marathons with one leg. And some people say it's a little unfair because your other, you, you have one less thing to get tired and these things can bounce and you can actually run really fast. So I wonder how cyborg limbs, gene editing, steroids, nanotechnology, better shoes and apparel, what is the future of performance enhancement going to look like? Well, I, so to start off with the, uh, with the shoes you were just alluding to, uh, those are sweet. 350 yeah. bucks isn't very sweet, but they are <laughs> really, it's a really, really cool concept. And they actually are going to roll those out in the NBA. I believe I saw in the next few weeks, I think Jason oh, wow. Tatum on the Celtics is going to be wearing them. And one other player who I, whom I can't remember, but uh, those are going to be in professional sports soon. I don't necessarily see those as, uh, uh, performance enhancing, at least at the level of technology they're at currently. Right. But, uh, it, you know, it's uh, as much as it is a marketing ploy to sell $350 shoes. Right. But uh, it is, you know, it's, it's cool to see that going in terms of, you know, in terms of steroids and whether, you know, that could be an ethical option moving forward. I personally, I mean, I think that the rules against steroids were primarily created uh, you know, for two reasons. One, uh, for the uh, competitive advantage aspect of other mm -hmm. athletes, right? Like you want everyone to be on the same competitive playing field. And two, because of the medical side effects from it. I mean, like I've got a list of side effects here from anabolic steroids, you know, that is longer than my iPhone. Right, your show, balls shrink like, to the size of peas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Along with, you know, high blood pressure, heart and blood circulation issues, aggressive behaviors, rage and violence that contributes even further to domestic abuse wow. that we're seeing so prevalent in yeah. society 
especially in uh, among professional athletes, you know, drug dependence, infections and diseases, inhibited growth and development, especially if you start taking them at an early age. That's another reason why right. steroids are out a lot in sports, right? And so I think there's a difference between, um, and, and I think there's such a stark difference between that and, uh, you know, potentially a modification of, of genes and creating like the optimal athlete. Right. Um, now, if we were to genetically modify people to be the best athletes possible, right? Like in football, let's say, okay, so I, we need five, six linemen, right? We're going to genetically modify these guys to be six foot seven or six, six, 350 pounds, just like weightlifting machines with quads, the size of tree trunks, right? Yeah. At a certain point, everyone is going to figure out that optimal level and that rest, that gene recipe for success at every position, right? Uh -huh. So if every team figures that out and we're using gene modification, we're going to be looking at the same players playing against the same players because once we yeah. reach the optimal level, we're just going to be watching the same exact players on every team. What fun is that? So I, right. I, that's kind of how I see it. It would create almost two level of a playing field to where we're just watching three, three ties because everyone's <laughs> going to be equally as good. Well, as there's each always other. going to be some chaos in the system. So, of, but of yeah, course. it could. I mean, right now every player is such an individual. That's why fantasy football is is so fun because. It's like it's such a crapshoot how different people are going to perform. Whereas if it becomes very predictable, some of that je ne sais quoi of sports gambling and just not knowing what's going to happen might be lost. So and I that's think really holding up. That's and gambling, frankly, is what's really holding the NFL upright right now, like yeah. fantasy football specifically, I believe. But right, interesting. So I think there's a couple different parts to that question that you asked. So one is creating the optimal athlete, right? So the genetic engineering steroids, which, you know, like you were talking about, Rick might not be the best option. Um, but there's, there's the other aspect, which is even if you have this optimal physical specimen, that doesn't mean they're going to be good necessarily. Like they still need to train. They still yeah. need to have the optimal mindset like they still need to grind through the process of becoming an athlete their spirit so has a, to be in it they got to really want it a lot of times it's who mm -hmm. wants it more yeah and so there's a lot of futuristic training scenarios that we could start thinking about mm. so there if you're talking about football i know a lot of um quarterbacks now are training with vr technology Hmm. So, so they're like going through this entire visualization process of where all the players are going to be on the field and just really drilling that in their minds. And then you've also, ha you have these companies like, have you heard of um, Halo Neuroscience or Halo Neurotech or something? No, I have not, no. Basically, it's this, it looks like a regular pair of headphones that sits over your head and they have these little stimulators on the uh, band that's wrapping around the top of your head and it's the these magnets that are pulsing on specific parts of your brain and it helps you uh, helps your muscle memory kick in faster so if you're learning a really technical skill this is a way to improve that those fine motor skills way more quickly hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I I'm do a little think... skeptical about those about those things. I mean, I think that the technology 
can get there to the point where it's really useful, but I'm skeptical about how useful it is already. I mean, like for instance, I was in a yoga class recently and I saw this other person who was there who had that like this like head thing around this like overpriced tech product that basically was supposed to like measure how well he was really being mindful and he had some app that analyzes it. And to me, a lot of that is just, <laughs> is just balderdash. It's, it's just pointless, but I think there is a lot of potential there. I just think that the current technology is not up to snuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I there is, there are, um, I think Steph Curry even uses this halo. Oh, really? neuros- yeah. I is mean, they're paid by them. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's... Yeah, but he, he already had his jump shot figured out at Davidson, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know how how useful the technology is right now, but there there is that second aspect to this, right. this modification of athletes in the future. Like, even yeah. if you have the specimen, you still need to get to the next step of training them to be the optimal... Right. Well, I know that, for instance, when the military are recruiting top drone pilots to be doing drone strikes, they recruit from the esports world. But they don't just look for the best esport player. They also look for psychographic profiling indicators. Like, is this person someone who has a high degree of being able to separate himself and his work from the effects of that? Is this someone who has strong sense of loyalty and, and, and mission? So I do think in the future of warfare, I mean, I think we've touched on this in a previous podcast, but you could see a situation where there's like an Ender's Game scenario where our best soldier is some 12-year-old kid who's a video game esports savant, and he's able to orchestrate our armies way better than any stuffy old general ever could. And... I mean, the, I think the key factor there is going to be whether autonomous weapons are allowed internationally or not. Because if they're allowed, then, yeah, it's just you don't need any soldier. It's just we'll all be autonomous. But mm-hmm. if we outlaw autonomous weapons, which we should and which hopefully we will, then you'll see these video game savants who might be our best soldiers, our best generals, our best sol- admirals. Mm-hmm. So I, I think so. You know, it makes sense from a from a potential futuristic warfare perspective to say, okay, here's this 12 year old gamer who can control a drone better than anyone in the nation, right? And to and I do see a potential of like a 12 year old literally leading leading the troops with with a, with drone strikes because he is so skilled in that area. In sports, it's it's different because a 12 year old hasn't hasn't developed physically yet enough for any professional to say. And I know people are offering like. Uh, I think it was USC that just offered a seventh grader. Uh, well, maybe it wasn't wow. USC. Uh, well, I, they've done it in the past, but they offer, there's been multiple instances where sixth, seventh, and eighth graders are getting offered scholarships to play football. And that, that literally, that never pans out. It's almost <laughs> never panned out. And it's harder to predict at a young age who's going to be good enough to say, okay, I'm going to take this 12-year-old and start implementing these VR technologies and whatnot to help them become a better player, right? And also, if you're if you're growing up and you're starting to play sports, like typical football player probably starts playing when they're, I don't know, 10, 12 years old, something mm-hmm. like that, right? Uh, and like I was alluding to earlier, I'm kind of going back to the money of this, right? And a lot yeah. of these players are coming from, uh, you know, uh, less fortunate backgrounds financially. 
So how it's just, it would just be so much it would be so much more so much more of a hurdle for them to be able to pay enough to go to these like VR training regimens that would well, give them a competitive Well, although like, video games are getting cheaper and cheaper and you could imagine a world where everyone spends a lot of time playing video games and mm-hmm. it's actually one of the cheapest ways of entertaining yourself. So in that world it might not be that they practice so much because they want a better life which we see now with athletes it might be just that part of the culture is that people are playing video games all the time and you know the people who are the best and have the right psychographic characteristics get reached out to by the cia or or whoever Mm -hmm. and they say hey come join us and on top of your universal basic income, you'll have an extra level of status, you'll have an extra salary, you'll be able to find a better mate, and whatever else. You know, it's like the <laughs> no. age-old story of why do people do it, anything. Sure, it makes sense. I mean, in 2006, or I, don't, I think it was around then, when the first iPhone came out, and it was, you know, 800 bucks or whatever, you know, the amount of people that had smartphones like that were we're small. Like we couldn't. It was tough to imagine a world where ten years later, ninety something percent of the population had a had a smartphone. Right. And I see what you mean with the decreasing cost of technology and the you know being able, with everyone really being able to utilize it. But it's just uh, for me, it's just this. It, it's like this. I don't know. It's this hurdle of. I just I. It's tough for me to envision VR simulations helping you know athlete helping athletes on the you know when it comes down to a game scenario right like a lot of these guys everyone in the nfl is a good player right they got to the nfl everyone in the nba is a good player some guys are incredible in practice but when they get to that game stage like the actual feeling of competition when it's happening really time real time like look at tom brady he has no physical well i I think it's telling that in (laughs) ender's game the kid doesn't even know that it's a real battle he thinks it's a video game the whole time so maybe where maybe where there'd be a similar situation where these kids don't even know they're fighting the war like they just think like okay we're going to test out your skills and you're going to the next round. Here's a drone simulation, but it's actually real drone strikes. I mean, the thing with video games, though, is they're so constrained. Like, there are so many rules in place that make it not realistic. Um, I mean, there are right simulations. Now, but right now. They're getting better every year. Yeah. I just, I don't know if like a 12 year old could mentally handle, even if they didn't know it was real, I don't know if they could handle the sheer complexity of like real warfare if you think about all of the different factors i I agree like if it's someone who's gonna have to you know charge into battle and bayonet someone at close quarters i agree but if you're just pulling a trigger from like a thousand meters away up in the sky in some drone i don't think that's i think that's like i mean kids play call of duty every single day shooting people and there's so many violent video games I was thinking more like the general situation, like orchestrating this whole attack, like having this super abstract view of the entire I mean, think battle. of like StarCraft, for instance, like that's basically where you send your troops while you're also creating new resources. And it's like you're orchestrating mm-hmm. this whole civilizational battle. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I agree. We're not there yet. And yeah, maybe 12 year old is not right. Maybe it would have to be a 16 year old or a 19 year old <laughs> or something. But yeah. I think this idea of someone like Ninja, 
the best Fortnite player right. in the world. If you put that guy in charge of America's drone strike division, I guarantee you we would have more accurate results. Or the Space Force. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah but anyways, we're, we're, we're getting pretty far into like what could be some future scenarios. So I think this is a good place to take a quick break. And then let's get into the worst case, best case, and most likely scenarios for the future of sports. All right, let's get into the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. So what do you guys think is the worst case scenario for the future of sports? All right, so this was kind of a hard scenario. It's different from the other questions and the other topics, but there, I mean, there's a lot of different ways we can take this. So if we're thinking about the safety of sports in the future, I, you know, I think worst case is people just don't really care about the athletes and the, the athletes continue, like no matter what they do, like they don't care about the long-term future of their own bodies because they're in it for the game and that's it. So I, I just don't want us to be in a scenario where no one really cares about the athlete on the field and their long-term health. You know, I, I don't know if that's where we are going with sports. It seems like in some cases we are kind of heading that way. Like people just want the big hits and the entertainment without any respect for the long-term future. Um, so that's, you know, that's one worst case scenario. The other one is, you know, more conspiracy minded where if uh, the military is trying to recruit people and uh, esports players for warfare, you know, that could be a... Well, that's really already going scenario. on. Well, yeah, I guess like against the esports people's wills, you know, just... I don't like really know. if we know. were in an authoritarian regime where everyone had to battle against each other until only yeah. the strongest remained and then those people were constricted to the military? Yeah, basically. You know, that's that, that one's not silly. really well thought out, but... No, no, I like it. <laughs> you know, I, I think... Uh, at least personally, if I were to try to, uh, you know, think of the, the worst case scenario for sports in general, it's a, it's a complete and total movement towards this uh, more so an esports regimen that we were kind of talking about earlier and mm. that people are controlling robots from the sidelines and watching them battle it out on the field. I think that just takes away just the, 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 the element of human error to an extent where you know, you just there's just something about sports when you see those athletes playing on the field, you like resonate with that because they're a human being, like you're a human being, and you're watching other human beings, like I've said like multiple times, do these incredible supernatural things, which resonates so much with me, the fan, because it's like, how the hell did they just do that? If they're controlling right. that with a controller on the sidelines, which seems like a possibility in the in the maybe not even the not so distant future it just takes away that that excitement factor and like people like from, from our generation or previous generations just wouldn't be adept to that and sports would turn into something that i personally wouldn't wouldn't right. want to take take part in as a fan but maybe for these newer generations they'd rather have that and maybe there's more money in that direction and 
that's where it's going to boil down to wherever the money is going. And mm. if the money is in that segment, more people want to watch that in future generations. That's what it's going to become. To me, that's a worst case scenario, but maybe not to everyone. Yeah, no, that's that's part of my worst case scenario, too, which is that if we don't play or if we didn't used to play the sports that we watch, then you get a little bit separated from the the reality of these players being real people. And it almost becomes sort of like a gladiatorial uh, paradigm where it's like, you know, I've never fought someone with a sword, but I'm still cheering at this guy to kill the other guy. And I'm booing at him when he uh, makes a bad move. I think that is a recipe for some some real, uh, you know, sinister societal behaviors. Mm -hmm. I, I also think that sports being too individualized rather than being a team sport is also a concern. So if everyone's like their own video game master and they're all like on their own team all the time, rather than them playing a team sport like football or baseball or basketball, then that's going to have worse effects in society because people won't be practicing teamwork as much. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I, sorry, go Justin, ahead, I'll let you. Okay, okay. Thank you. So I was going to say, you know, and going back to this idea of, of recruiting uh, these crazy video gamers, these like, you know, potential 12 year olds to lead drone strikes for the military and whatnot. If we were to take esports athletes that are, you know, younger and put them in those, situations uh, another worst case scenario is you know what is the main goal of these kids that are playing call of duty for example or or mm -hmm. games like that right it's to kill as many people as possible right right so if you put them in a drone strike scenario they might not think okay the ultimate goal is to either capture this one person person or to send a message their goal might be dating back to their you know video gaming days where it's like we just need to get the kill count as high as possible like we right. need to win at any cost and that might get to their heads as much as the actual mission that's at, at task it, it I just, yeah they get removed thinking of it from the reality a game, exactly they get removed from the reality of the situation like they might say okay well if we obliterate this entire surrounding area and leave one little group in the middle then we can go and get that one person but it's like you just killed like thousands and thousands and thousands of people and you're not really you know you're not there you're not on the battlefield you're controlling it from a yeah. computer like a video game you can't you can't realize the full ramifications of doing that uh, you know mm -hmm. being behind a controller especially yeah. for 12 yeah, just being detached like that is probably not healthy for development. What mm -hmm. what I was going to say to your point, Matamor, about the teamwork aspect, even with esports, even if it is a team sport, a team esport, you're still not even in the same physical location a lot of times. So right. you just have <laughs> some people have headsets, most don't. But yeah, it's it's not the same as, you know, being right there in the team huddle with your hand together cheering yeah. and you know pouring the Gatorade on each other and all that is, is very good bonding yeah and what are the repercussions of pe of people growing up to spending half of their lives under a headset what, right. if, what happens when they go back to reality like look at look at people that are glued to their phones now glued to technology oh, exactly. and they're texting yeah. more than they're talking like, you become they don't know socially inept and and yeah. when it becomes to real world conversations and exactly and that's like what's most scary for me personally going as society moves forward is people becoming so detached from reality because they're so in tune in their form of technology yeah. that they can't have real relationships with people, which in my opinion is the most beautiful aspect of life. Right. Yeah. 
I think that really hits the mark. What do you guys think is the best case scenario for the future of sports? Best case scenario. Or I can start if you like. So yeah, my, my best case scenario is if sports continues to be a force for bringing people together rather than people getting uh, pushed apart. So one example of this is, for instance, the Olympics, where recently, you know, whatever you think about politics, the, fa- the fact that North Korea was in the Olympics was cause for a sigh of relief with the rest of the world because it shows that they're getting a little bit more integrated into the world and that makes them a little bit less likely to bomb the hell out of some other country that they don't like. And I think if we keep moving more in this direction, you know, and more away from the direction of like what happened with Russia in the Sochi Olympics where they were basically doping all their players and it was really not good sportsmanship. And then we had to, you know, reprimand them, but they, you know, some of them still came to the Olympics. Like that's the the bad side of where things can go. But if we instead use sports as a force for bringing people together, you know, maybe coming to uh, common terms with Russia or with China or with North Korea or with any of these other countries, that would be the best case scenario. And if it can also be a way for people to stay fit and healthy. So whether they're old fashioned, you know, shooting the basketball around or whether it's like you have your VR rig, that's technically an e-sport, but you're still moving around and exercising in that rig. Like if, if you had some sort of system set up like that then that would also be huge because obesity rates are insane. I mean, I think it's like half of Americans are obese. And in some states, it's like 60 or 70 percent. I mean, this is not healthy. So the more we can have people uh, exercise through sports, build teamwork through sports and build different and, and build coalitions among different tribes through sports. That's my best case scenario. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, to piggyback off that, I think, uh, and this sounds really, really kind of stupid, and it, you know, peripherally looks a little dumb, but when you think about Dennis Rodman's relationship with yeah, uh, Kim Jong Un, yeah. and he, the only reason they have that relationship and that they're able to come together as friends, apparently, you know, yeah. apparently, uh, is because Kim Jong Un had this, this massive appreciation for Dennis Rodman and he was playing basketball for the Bulls and the Pistons that, you know, like they've created this like weird friendship over it. And he goes out there all the time, hangs out with them and whatever, and does like little one-on-one clinics with kids from North Korea and in front of Kim Jong-un. And, uh, you know, like if that, you know, like, let's say, you know, later on down the road, a best case scenario is, well, you have someone a little more mentally stable than Dennis Rodman. You have maybe a leader that's a little more stable than Kim Mm Jong-un and them coming together, like, uh, you know, because of appreciation for what an athlete has been able to accomplish, like you said, can really has the potential to bring people together. And that, like you said, is certainly, in my opinion, the the best case scenario is because that's what you know, to me, it's what sports are, are all about. People coming together for one common goal, whether it's on the athlete's side for, you know, trying to have your team all come together or as a or as a fan. Yeah. So I I kind of took a different approach to this. I And, well, actually, I do want to touch on what you were saying at the end. Also, Matamore, about a whole bunch of recreational um, people, you know, people playing recreational sports and stuff. But what I wanted to say is 
I want there to be no control over people. Like, I don't want people to be told what to do in terms of their sports, but I also want them to have the ability to play sports as a way of exercising, for example. So I don't, I don't think it's a good idea to just force kids or anyone into playing certain sports. And I think a lot of parents, you know, do. Um, mm. But one thing that I think would be awesome is if we get to this future scenario where there is a UBI, people have a lot more time on their hands, they can come together through sports and they can exercise through sports because they have more time. Like they, this can just be a human thing is to play sports together. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be football. It can just be going to shoot, you know, kick a ball at a soccer net. Or ping pong. Or, yeah. It, it doesn't really matter ping pong what is also, it is. I don't know if I mentioned it, but that's one of the fastest growing sports. Yeah, you, you mm -hmm. said that. That's yeah. awesome. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, just having all this diversity. Because mm -hmm. this all these different sports can totally create wins. what was that <laughs> no tiddlywinks <laughs> is a very odd sport <laughs> i've never heard of that yeah i don't know what sports you're watching man <laughs> <laughs> but if we have all of the, all of this diversity in sports then we can create a whole bunch of cultural diversity and i i just think that sort of Right. thing this diversity is important for the evolution yeah. of humanity well did you guys see that viral video recently about that gymnast who just had so much flair and positive attitude in her routine is that, that... simone biles no 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 it was okay. a different gym it wasn't like an olympian it was uh, okay but did you see this was video it the, on was Twitter? It the, was it the gymnast? She's like kind of dancing while she... The, to the, to the yes, Michael Jackson yeah. song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that yeah. is awesome because, t you know, typically gymnastics is like, it's very stuffy and they're like, you know, they're getting themselves worked up and they do it and it's all very serious. But to see someone actually have fun while playing sports was so inspiring. And it, we really can't lose sight of the fact that Yes, there are all of these benefits from playing sports, practical benefits, but really it's all about fun. It's the enjoyment. It's like, why is life even worth living? Like, why even go on at all? It's because you can have fun living. It's better to live than not to live. You can play a game. You can play whatever game you like, whether it's a game in the business world, a game in the sports, physical world, a game in the digital, virtual reality world. There are an, an infinite amount of games that anyone can play, and it's all for the sake of having a more fulfilled, happy, more fun life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why people love gravitate towards athletes such as Shaquille O'Neal, for example. It was evident yeah. how much fun he was having on the court. And or you look at, uh, you know, or Brett Favre, that guy when he was 40 years old, looks like a 10 year old out there playing on the field. There's nothing else in life that he would rather do. And he is, you know, and it's just like, like you said, watching people have fun genuine genuinely have fun doing what they love is is something that makes sports so beautiful because you live it's it's so easy as a fan to live vicariously through that yeah mm -hmm. totally so let's let's bring it home with the most likely scenario so what do you guys think is most likely for the future of sports most likely scenario Well, I think it's, I personally think it's only, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, 
player safety and creating equipment safe enough for our current sports to be lasting. I think it's uh, most likely it's only going to get a little worse before it gets better. Like something more catastrophic is going to have to happen for us to have a real uh, concerted effort at, you know, like taking the right precautions to make sure that people are safe and playing. Like, I hate to say it, but maybe someone's going to have to have some serious, like even if CTE isn't serious enough, like someone's going to, you know, have to, I don't know, maybe die on camera in the middle of a game or something like that. As cynical as that sounds for us to really make those necessary improvements. Now, that being said, I think that there's too much money there. There's too many people who love the sport and there's too much. There's just too much there for us not to. There's too much technology to be had for us to not create a sustainable solution to making sure that people are safe to be able to have fun while playing these sports. I think it will get, have to get a little worse before it gets better. Uh, but that, that's kind of, that's kind of what I believe. Yeah. Justin. So, I mean, I totally agree with what you're saying, Rick, in terms of player safety and to take another angle. I do think that we'll see esports continue to rise. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't, I hope it doesn't replace real physical sports, but I think it will eventually. Um, there, it's just so easy to play video games for kids. And if they can just continue to play video games and it's a viable career path to play mm-hmm. video games and as money continues yeah. to flow into Why this, are you wasting your time playing football in the backyard when you could be playing video games indoors yeah. working on your career? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. But unfortunately, I think that that's kind of the way it goes. Um, There there might be some positive aspects of this. I think a lot of them are yet to be seen. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I think that's a pretty likely scenario, honestly. I I do agree with you, Justin. I think there could be uh, a world in which... um, where you're not necessarily just behind a controller using your thumbs to dictate the actions of a robot, so to speak. I think there could be a world in which, let's think of Dance Dance Revolution. Like People that go hard on da- on DDR, <laughs> like, they get a, a ton oh, yeah. of exercise. Like, yeah. they're, they're, dripping, they're tripping sweat as much as an yeah. NFL player yeah. would be, right? So if you create a sort of virtual, uh, you know, controller, so to speak, where to have these crazy movements of the robots that are on the field or on the court that you're, you know, when you're dictating those movements for behind the controller, imagine it as sort of a dance dance revolution setup where <laughs> you have to physically like, you know, I don't know, maybe you have to throw, throw the ball into a tight window or you have to, and to create like a trigger on this button, or you have to, you know, yeah. I don't know, uh, hurdle something and juke something out in a virtual space to be able to yeah. dictate a movement like that and, and you know maybe there's a world in which that's the case which makes it like okay so in in real life these people are doing supernatural things it's just mm-hmm. we're pr- protecting the right. safety of the players by putting them in a virtual space but their actions are being accurately dictated to these you know right. machines on the field okay right. Yeah, I yeah, I agree with both you guys. I mean, I think it is going to get worse before it gets better in the sense that there are going to be a lot of people who are going to waste a lot of time playing video games and not getting satisfaction out of that. But I think there is always going to be a community of people playing old-fashioned sports 
especially I think with big cities and new modern cities of tomorrow, you know, one thing we talked about in that episode, the future of cities is that with the population increase over the next several decades, we are going to need to build dense urban environments. And this could go one of two ways. It could go, it could become basically a utopia where people are all living together. You don't have to drive anywhere. Everyone can just walk around. Everyone has lots of neighbors and friends right within walking distance. And if we combine that with offering, you know, free sports activities to everyone, then we can create even tighter, stronger communities. But if we go in the other direction where it's like, everyone's got their own castle that they take a self-driving, you know, Tesla, you know, 50 miles away to get to, and then they seclude themselves there. They're just playing individual sports. They're in their VR rig, or if they play with anyone else, it's like detached because it's like, you know, through some Mm -hmm. system or whatever, then that's going to create less tightly knit communities. And, you know, there are downsides to that. So I'm pretty optimistic. I think most likely scenario is that we do end up with tightly knit communities that play sports with one another, but there's always going to be some subsection of the population that would rather remove themselves and be in their own sort of reality and not mesh into the whole uh, in the way that sports allows people to, especially team sports. Mm-hmm. I, I've actually I've got a question for both of you. So, you know, what do you think realistically that we will colonize the moon? in or or mars in the next let's say 150 years yes so what's so china what's map- just like two days ago had the first plants sprout on the moon i so, saw that so they're already and i don't know how they they didn't really give the details of like obviously it needed to be some sort of greenhouse i assume but i don't know what yeah. they apparently it does have the zero gravity so the main test is they're trying to see how these plants can grow in, in zero gravity and then the Mars stuff, I mean, that's planned. So those are those are definitely mm-hmm. going to happen. So so in the in the world that, you know, that, that does happen, um, you know, I, you know, let's let's think potentially about 150 years from now. People, if if sports are still around as we know them and team moving Earth sports to Mars. Exactly. Well, let's 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 think about, you know, something like that or or playing in those zero gravity situations like, you know, the only sport I can see that that even slightly resembles uh, a lesser gravity situation is uh, is like ice sports. Right. So when you're on the ice, gravity is minimized with lateral movement due to due to the nature of the ice. Right. You shoot a puck from one side, even you know, lightly from the red line, right? It's going to travel all the way to the net without the puck being stopped. You know, the only, only question I have in terms of feasibility in zero gravity situations is like the sort of suits you would have to wear, right. To be able to Mm -hmm. participate in those sports and the incredible costs it would take to actually play sports in zero gravity situations. I think the problem personally with that is that would be, almost like an elitist sports movement, such as uh, polo to the thousandth exponent, mm. right? You have to there would definitely be a huge home court and home planet advantage. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's for sure. But, it's but, just but one thing I will say, though, is that even if it's elite, the Mars mission is planned to be partially funded by a reality TV show. So basically, you'll be able to turn on the Mars channel, see how the colonists are doing. It's a natural next step to have part of the Mars channel include some sort of sports competitions. 
And if there's some sort of zero gravity, like even if they're in a, like, let's say a biodome that has all of the oxygen and maybe even an ice rink, like you said, they would still have the no gravity. So they could be in their normal, you know, ice suits, but maybe instead of a triple axle, they could do like a 27 X axle because they're just flying around <laughs> in the air. <laughs> but that yeah. is, that is fun. The one worry I have about that is that, you know, we already see that there's the tribalism within Earth. Once we have another group of humanity on Mars, you could see maybe there will be some tribalism between Earth and Mars, and then maybe it could lead to us fighting each other, which would be the dumbest yeah. thing ever. But, <laughs> I mean, just based on history, it seems possible. Well, let's, let's hope that's not in the most likely scenario of this segment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one of the other things about these these low gravity places like the moon or Mars is people become fragile. So I would I would worry that if it's a contact sport that people get injured way easier because gravity holds our cells together more than people right, realize. Right. Like the the forces of earth are what human bodies are adapted to. So if we even if we put them in suits, there are still different forces acting on them. I would just worry that you know, if yeah. it's a person in a suit rather than just like a robot of some sort or some sort of, I don't know, maybe it's a, maybe instead of race car driving, it's, I don't know, spaceship racing or something mm -hmm. like that might be feasible. And then mm. it, I don't know, there, there's just a lot of factors that, yeah. that might come into play in terms of, you know, well, fortunately, we sports. have fortunately we have some time to figure it out. <laughs> But I think this is a good place to end it. So we've had a nice discussion here. Thank you guys for joining, especially Rick. Thanks for, for sharing your expertise in the sports good. world. Oh, of course, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. And thanks to everyone who listened. This has been the Future of Sports. And we hope what you tune in next time. And what will inevitably happen. The past, the present, and the future.